Hello, 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 and welcome back to the 90 Min Podcast. Apologise for the lack of show last week. We had some technical issues in the system, but we're back and ready to go now as the transfer window starts to get towards its final phase. I'm Chris Dealey, and I'm joined once again by senior correspondents Jamie Spencer. Hello. Aidan Cusick. Hello. And Scott Saunders. Hello, everyone. Uh, we're going to start off with just a uh, just a quick recap, look at some of the best moves of the window so far as we come into what about the third week of it um who wants to kick us off no really don't all rush at once <laughs> uh, well what i can do is i could start to uh, run us through a couple of the uh, a couple of the notables if anything there's been um damari gray has moved to leicester he looked particularly good on his debut for them uh newcastle have been busy as you might expect they've bought john joe shelby and um Henri Sauvé. southampton obviously have got charlie austin absolute steal at four million you might think and uh obviously possibly the biggest move of the window so far liverpool have signed Stephen colker on loan from qpr uh any of those stick out any uh any others mohammed el nene perhaps at arsenal um yeah for me i think the best business done so far was by southampton for charlie austin uh there's been a lot of talk about how much he's actually getting paid per week rumors and talk of up to £100,000 a week. I'm not sure how accurate that is, and that's sure as hell a lot of money to be paying somebody like Charlie Austin. But if we go on what we know, £4 million for a striker who was proven in the Premier League, can score goals, as he did with QPR last season, in a relegated team. I mean, it's great business for Southampton. I think a a number of clubs have missed a trick with not going in for him as well. I mean, Southampton are going to get goals. He'll, He'll probably get... I'd say a good six or seven in the second half of the season if he plays regularly. And I think that Swansea City, Aston Villa, Crystal Palace, they've all missed a bit of a trick there. I think he could have done a job for any of those teams. I I do have something of a hesitation with Austin. I wouldn't be entirely surprised if the 100,000 a week room was particularly far from the mark. You've got things like Andre Ayew, you mentioned Swansea. They officially signed him on a free, but... um, there's talk that the signing on fee was about seven million pounds because the agents aren't idiots. They know they can say to the clubs, you know, you've saved money on the transfer fee. That's money that can, or certainly some money of that can come to us in signing on fees and wages. So it, it I mean, either way, it's a very good deal. I don't think it's quite the four million pound cut and dried bargain that you might expect. Um, Aiden, are you still uh, did you get a remote control helicopter for Christmas? Is <laughs> very excited to play with it. Yeah, I've got a helicopter and a wasp. <laughs> well, I think whilst it is a good signing, there may be a point to raise about his um, fitness or lack of it. Perhaps. He's got a bit of a, a reputation for injuries. He failed the medical at Hull. Was it? Three years ago, uh, his knee was one of the reasons that West Ham didn't pursue a move uh, in the summer. And he's only played 16 of QPR's championship games this season because of injury. He's not played at all since mid-December. He has scored uh, nine goals in 12 starts, so he's obviously got a very good record. But you would then temper that with how often is he going to be able to play? And maybe it's just something to bear in mind. I'm not saying it's a bad sign because of that. I'm just saying it's something to consider. Yeah, and as, as we said, another one of those that perhaps contributes to it being not a not the 15 to 20 million that QPR were looking for in the summer. That's that's the reason why it, he's he's not moved before, isn't it? Because uh, his contract was up at the end of the season, so teams 
wishing to buy him have, have waited till now because because yeah like Jamie says his, his injury records is not the best so I think that's why we haven't seen him move earlier to because obviously Southampton have saved roughly about 10 million based on what teams were being quoted in the summer so Austin was saying is a, is a, a good not necessarily great signing I wouldn't mind popping over to the Newcastle side of things because obviously they've they're the only team to have really made two real signings um Obviously, Liverpool have signed Corker and Grugic, but Grugic has just uh, headed straight back on loan to Red Star. Does anybody in the world think that John Joe Shelby is worth £12 million for a team that might be on championship money next year? Not if he's the one that keeps them out of the championship. John Joe Shelby? He made his debut at the weekend, and he was really good. And I will accept that as he was signing, I thought it was probably a bit much because he had those issues with his attitude when he was at, uh, coming to the end of his time at Swansea. But if he matures, if he grows up, he shows that he has got the ability to put that stuff to one side, then he can be a really good player because he was last season. And £12 million in the grand scheme of things is not a huge, huge amount anymore. So in that sense, I'm prepared to already admit that I was probably wrong that buying him would be a mistake. So what you, what you are paying for with Shelby is more of a guarantee because you bring in somebody from France there's no guarantees that they'll be able to do it by all accounts he's quite a good player and he might well turn into a good signing and they've had similar success in the past with people like Sissoko for two and a half million and Kabai for not much more there is that to it but what you get with Shelby is more of a guarantee and that's why you have to pay a premium and there's English player tax as well obviously market forces for you yeah and I think the English player tax is is something of I don't think John Shelby costs £12 million if he's a French player who's played in the Premier League for a few years. They're both very Newcastle signings, though, aren't they? I mean, they, they love signing players from the French League, and Shelby is, though he's proven that he, he is quite good and he can hit pretty good form at times. I mean, he's played for England. There's always that other side to him as well, and Newcastle always tend to go for those players. I mean, recently now they've been linked with Andros Townsend as well. I know they've had two offers rejected for him. I read this afternoon. Yeah, and they and they look genuinely confident. They look they look genuinely confident of getting Townsend as well, which yeah. is uh... that's another Newcastle kind of signing. Very hit and miss. Yeah, and then obviously you move on to to the likes of uh, of Gray at Leicester coming in for less than four million. He already look he already looks a very Leicester player. He seemed to fit very well into the system when I saw him on his debut. He's also very Leicester signing in that you really have no idea whether it's a, a good start that could quickly fade away or something that's going to hang on. Really, only time will tell. Coming, up, he's young, coming up from the Championship. There's, they've got him cheap, so it's it's not a, it's not too much of a risky signing. It's just one that you really don't know whether or not it's going to pay off. I think um, I think the Gray signing's quite a good one for Leicester because I think it's important for them after the start they had not to kind of try and disrupt things they want to keep as much continuity as they can um targeting young players like gray who who don't have to come into the team immediately but but can play in in those games like against Tottenham last week in the FA Cup take a bit of pressure off people like Mares and Albrighton and I think as you say for um for the price they paid for him for someone who was so highly rated in the championship obviously they got him because of the clause that was in his Birmingham contract so I think that's um, it's a risk-free signing. Like I say, someone who can can just come in and, and wait for his opportunity. If if Mara was to leave in the summer, then he's he's already got a foot in the door on on somebody else. But 
like like I say, young uh, signing young players like that, it doesn't disrupt the team too much, and it does kind of strengthen them behind the the first eleven, first fifteen, sixteen, whatever. So um, so yeah, I think that's probably um, the one that I think is probably the best looking signing so far. As even though I haven't been too impressed when I've seen him, but there are the, the signs there to suggest he will be a very good player. Yeah, I, th- I think your official title on this podcast is resident championship expert. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy with that. <laughs> um, now, Scott, I know you had something to say on a couple of other signings we've not mentioned so far. Am I right? Yeah, um, just linking into Aiden's championship expertise there. Um, I, I think from what I've seen of Benikafobi uh, to Bournemouth, yes, I think he's slightly overpriced again, but that's just how football is, especially in England nowadays. Um, but he seems to have all the tools. Obviously, he's quite young as well. He seems to have all the tools to actually be or morph into a half-decent Premier League striker. I mean, he's strong and quick, powerful, and he can, he's shown he can score goals in the Championship as well. I've not seen too much of him, and perhaps Aiden would be better off uh, taking this one if he's seen a lot more of him. I know he spent some time at Sheffield Wednesday as well. But I think he's got the bare essentials in there uh, that will make him a good signing long-term. Yeah, I, w- I will add on, on that, actually. Um, I, I agree. I think he's a, he's a very good signing, if a little bit overpriced. But I think that he'll probably score the goals that ultimately keep Bournemouth up. And you would pay £10, £12 million, pounds, whatever they paid for him, um, to achieve that goal, wouldn't you? With the money that they're going to earn next season. I think the thing about Afobe, they couldn't have really picked a player that's on as big a crest of a wave as as he is at the minute and has been for for such a prolonged spell. I mean, it started at the start of last season when he went to MK Dons. As you say, he'd been at Sheffield Wednesday the season before and, and was just coming off the bench in matches and not really getting a chance to um, prove himself at first-team level. But, yeah, he had an electric start to last season, scored twice against Manchester United and then got his move to Wolves. And from there, he just hasn't looked back. He scored something... That, 20 plus goals for Wolves in in around a year and like I say he's he's taken that form with him into Bournemouth and uh, and I've got no doubt that he'll he'll score probably five six goals and, and keep them in the Premier League. It's a big statement that from Bournemouth not to only by him but then to within 24 hours spend another eight million on Lewis Graban. That's near the best part of 20 million pounds on two yeah. relatively unproven players at top flight level. It seems like a bit of a gamble. Well, you know, Jamie, it's okay because they're a fairy tale small side who are competing with uh, very, very little resources <laughs> compared to the other newly promoted sides. So everything will work out for them. It'll be marvellous. It'll be lovely. Sorry, I, 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 I'm not talking about Jamie Vardy this week, so I'm talking about Bournemouth instead. <laughs> yeah, I can't advocate Graben, unfortunately. I agree with Jamie on that one. That's, that's a lot of money for Lewis Graben. Whereas, like I say... Um, a phobe is just on a, on a roll really and, and that seems a more sensible signing for me. Right, just to, to, to round off our recap, are there any other notable signings made so far? I would point to one it's not really been um, talked about as much at Sunderland and it's not Jan Kirchhoff because he obviously had a, a nightmare of a debut mm. um, it's the other one that they signed last week Damien Doy, he hasn't made his debut yet because he was still waiting for his work permit slash visa slash something else says he's allowed to play um, but to me that seems like quite a, a shrewd signing obviously they've got Jermaine Defoe who's just come into a, a period of form and they've got 
energy from Duncan Watmore as well. Um, but Ndoye just adds another another bit of depth to the squad up front. He was a uh, he was a hull at the end of last season. He scored I think five in fifteen Premier League games. It wasn't quite enough to keep Hull up in the end, but it showed potential. He went on to Turkey after that. He was linked with Crystal Palace over the summer, but he went to Turkey. And now he's back in England on loan, and I think that is quite a good signing. He's also got a very um, questionable moustache as well. He didn't have that before. Yes, he's certainly one to uh, one to keep an eye on. Any particular dud signings, Scott? Did I am I, am I right in thinking that you yeah, have a couple? I, I have a couple. I mean, Jermaine Pennant's found a new club today or over the last couple of weeks. It's been a long time coming to confirmation. Uh, but it's gone through now officially, and he's joined a club in Singapore called Tampine- Tampinese Rovers. It's a bit of a fall from grace, but I mean, his career was kind of dead in the water anyway. So I mean, if he's looking for a payday, then it's a decent one that he's got down there. Well, you Not- say you say, you say that. I think I uh, I read on the BBC this morning that he's making. I think it, I think it said he is making a record. Uh, wage packet for that particular league, but it is still only about 19, 20 yeah. grand a month. Yeah. So <laughs> it's really not that good in football in terms, but I mean, if he was to play here, but nobody, nobody's really going to take a risk on him now because how far down in the ranks his career's gone. It's a, it's a decent move for him, I suppose, maybe. And he's it, gives just, him it gives him something to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if he, he has just tweeted um, around 12 o'clock this afternoon, no way. Dot, 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 dot. Nando's do delivery here. Five exclamation marks. Amazing news. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. So, it's not bad for him. One thing that is bad, though, is uh, Charlton's, one of Charlton's signings. They've taken back Roger Johnson, and he's played 90 minutes twice since returning, and they've conceded 11 goals without scoring, <laughs> losing 5-0 and 6-0. So, uh, yeah, that's not a great move. <laughs> Roger Johnson, one of, the, uh, one of the rare men who has the... Uh the adjective that you do with the noun as a first and second name. <laughs> there was a time when he was like thinking himself as like the next good defender, you know, when he was at Birmingham. But is that is that the title? The next the next good defender. But you know you know what I mean though, but he was like that was the way it was heading, like the way it was being talked about when Birmingham um got back into the Premier League and they won the League Cup, and he was being talked about, perhaps more from himself, and I think wasn't his wife quite vocal on the subject as well, about him being really good, I don't really remember. He was linked with Arsenal at that stage. That's, that's, the, that's what I, the point that I'm making, he was supposed to be that next guy, and then it turned out to be Scott Down instead, who was his partner at Birmingham. Yes, because uh, unfortunately he wasn't, he wasn't the next good defender, he was the next distinctly mediocre defender. God knows there's enough of those knocking around. He'll never live he'll never live down that Yaya Torre goal, will he? I don't think. No. <laughs> That's funny. Runs from his own runs from I don't know whether his own half or the halfway line and he just completes completely backs off him until he scores. I think that was the, the point where his career just went off a cliff, I think. That was shortly after he'd been on loan with us. And uh, the thing he was quite good actually, but the thing that really annoyed me would anybody like to hazard a guess at the squad number he wore during his four months at Hillsborough? Is it something like nine? Very close. It was eight. <laughs> and it really riled me. I, I couldn't really get on board with with him as good as he was. Um, yeah, that, that. You are the you're the same you're the same kind of people who get annoyed with Wijnaldum wearing number five, aren't you? I quite yeah. like that. 
I don't mind five too much. <laughs> yeah, five but, is like Zidane, though, isn't it? So. Yeah, if it wasn't for Zidane, you'd, you'd have an issue with no, five. This is the point. You have an opinion on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got us there. Anyway, right, so that's, that's a little uh, that's a look at what we've had so far. Let's uh, we take a look to the future. Obviously, last chance to strengthen before the last stages of the title push or indeed the last stages of the uh, grimy basement knife fight at the bottom. Yeah, any areas the big clubs should strengthen, any players that you can see you know, the title contenders fighting over? I'll, I'll steer that conversation over to Manchester City. I know they've been tipped to actually spend some money this month in certain places, but not as much as some of their rivals. I mean, they've got a pretty strong squad, and even with Vincent Kompany still out, and we don't... Well, he's going to be out for a number of weeks still. Their weak point seems to be at centre-half, without him there, and it's been exposed on a number of occasions this season. But, I mean, apart from bringing in somebody up front to try and support Sergio Aguero, I mean, there's really no point of them doing any business this month, I don't think, because they're, they're pretty strong in all areas. And if they go and throw away another 30 million quid on a centre-half, who's to say it's not going to turn out the same way that Otamendi and Mangala have? Well, I think, that, I think that's been an issue with City for a while, is, is buying defenders who are used to defending a completely different style of play in other leagues, usually quite young defenders who haven't really had time to adjust. If, if there was anyone going in the Premier League at the moment, that might be uh, an area to target, but there kind of isn't. Maybe there could be, though. I mean... Ryan Shawcross. I wasn't going to say Ryan Shawcross, but it's on a similar theme. And I, I mentioned him just a few minutes ago in passing. It would be Scott Dan. He seems like the kind of player that would add value to their squad and not be that expensive. Yeah, well, I mean, you can see they've kind of tried him and burned before with Jolie and Lescott. But, um... That sort of worked, though, because he was a, a regular starter that season that they won the league alongside company. And even though he's, like, terrible, terrible, terrible now... At that time, it was it did work. So I, you know, I think Scott Dan would be a, a shrewd signing for City. I don't think it'll ever happen, and it's not been rumored. That's just something that I've pulled off the top of my head right now. But to me, that would be the as, as Scott said, it, it would be hard for them to strengthen as much as there are weaknesses. It would be hard for them to actually strengthen those weaknesses. I think that Scott Dan hypothetically would be quite a good signing for them. And now moving across Manchester, there's been um, obviously a lot of discontent in the ranks at Old Trafford uh, discontent on the terraces do we see them bringing anyone in to, uh, to fill some gaping holes I mean they, they don't over the last few weeks they've not seemed to need as much cover up front with Ray, Wayne Rooney starting to score again anything in particular we can see going on at United or uh, now or indeed strengthening for the future because we've, we've said before this seems to be a long term strengthening mission for Van Harlow for the next kind of 18 months before he leaves any wheels that they might set in motion now the one deal, the one speculative story that keeps coming around and around is that Felipe Anderson from Lazio. And to me, I'm, at the start of the month, it was one of those that was billed as this is going to be the first big one over the line. And there's not really been anything substantial since then. It seems to me now like it's more one of these endless sagas that will be dictated by agent quotes and manager quotes and failing to rule out moves rather than actual steps in the right direction. It, I believe that at present, there's been a bid submitted, perhaps, that was rejected, and I don't know. It seems to be one of those that's just going to head in that direction for months, maybe years. You know, like the Nico Gaetan one that we've been hearing about since 2000. Don't say his name. It seems to be like it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a curse word. It seems to me like it's heading in that direction anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm 
I'm pretty sure Lazio have said that they uh, rejected a bid of about 35 million in the summer from United. But yeah, in terms of concrete steps after that, it doesn't really seem to have been much. Another United defender story recently was um, uh, Dragovic from uh, Dinamo. That was, you know, that was said to be hours away on Friday, and then nothing really ever came of it. <laughs> I don't really know too much about him, to be honest. It was, I feel like. He was what he was linked before he went to Dinamo Kiev as well, wasn't he? It was it was still when he was at Basel that, that all of this stuff began to initially surface, or am I just making it up? I don't know. <laughs> no, he was linked with um, I think Arsenal, West Ham, United while he was at while he was at Basel. He only went there about eighteen months ago, wasn't it, to Dinamo? So he's been he's been around a few years now, hasn't he? But scored I, against uh, scored against Chelsea too, didn't he? He did, but I I see those kind of rumours and I just. I don't. I struggle to believe them. I don't think that United will do business this month. Now I think um, they seem to have turned a corner, and I think Van Gaal would probably hope that would happen anyway, so he didn't have to go into the transfer market. I think that's that's what's going to happen now. I don't think they will go into the transfer market on the basis of, as Chris said, it was a, a project of development. Going into the transfer market now would mean giving up on somebody else that's probably not been there for that long, and it's it sort of is the point it's like going backwards you know so if you went in to sign another centre back you'd be giving up on Bill Jones perhaps or, or David Lindt or whoever if you went in to buy a midfielder you'd be giving up on Fellaini or Schweinsteiger so it, it defeats the point of, of buying somebody now if you means you're going to have to get rid of somebody because the whole squad has turned over almost entirely in the last three years since um since they last won the title, there's only a handful of players that are left. So bringing in new players now, unless they're just filler to add depth, there's not really there's not really any point in it. Especially when you've got players like Anthony Martial and, and Memphis as well, who you expect to become top class players within the next three to four years. Of course, the one worry for United is um, is if those players do get stolen away. Depending on Real Madrid's transfer ban, David De Gea, there's always some uh, some concern there. Do you see United moving for some backup for him, maybe, with um, Sergio Romero perhaps not so much up to scratch? I don't see them moving for backup. I see them moving for a replacement if it happens. So I don't see there's any point second-guessing bringing somebody in sooner than they need to. But in the case of De Gea, it seems to be... I think it's important at this stage to set it out. It's not a case, from what I understand, that he wants to... He's actively seeking to go. It's a case of he'd quite like to go to Real Madrid... If the opportunity was there, which it was over the summer until the fax machine blew its head, he would have gone. But the fact that he had to stay didn't bother him because he actually quite enjoys it being at United. So it's not a case of he desperately wants to go. It's a case of he'd like to go if it was there and it probably will be there again. So at that point, bring in a new goalkeeper. And in that respect, the rumour that surfaced uh, most recently, there's been links to people like Hugo Lloris in the past. The, the rumour that's linked um, out is... Kasper Schmeichel. Now we discussed this a little bit before we um, before we started recording today. I'm sure that everybody else will bring their opinions in soon enough. I actually get I can get on board with this idea of of Kasper Schmeichel being United's next goalkeeper, next number one goalkeeper. From what I've seen of him in the Premier League, he looks like he's got all the attributes to be a top class goalkeeper. He's not De Gea's standard, but then there's not that many goalkeepers, if any, maybe one or two in the world that are. So you're not gonna get a like-for-like replacement unless you go after somebody like Manuel Neuer, which is obviously not a possibility. There's Neuer chance of that. <laughs> did that sound like a fake, did that sound like a fake laugh because it was a little bit? 
please continue. The thing with Schmeichel is he's, he's like he's served in the apprenticeship as well because he started out uh, at Manchester City when he was when he was younger. He, he was in the first team briefly. Then he had a few loan spells. He went all the way down to League Two with Notts County. It was his first permanent move away from the city. And then he's come back. He helped Notts County to promotion. Then he went to Leeds. He joined Leicester in the championship. Helped Leicester get promoted. Helped Leicester stay in the division last season. The, the, the big game that sticks out for me, for him, and this it was because I was watching it as it happened. It was Leicester away against Burnley. I think it was April. And it was like a, a critical juncture in the season in the relegation survival race. And he made three absolutely, not necessarily world-class saves, but important saves at important times of the game that ensured that Leicester went on to win 1-0 and it kept that ball rolling and they ultimately stayed up. And he's been good again this season. People might comment on his age as well because he's nearly 30 or he's late 20s, 29. That's not that old for a goalkeeper. And it's not that old for a goalkeeper to suddenly become good in their late 20s because, to be honest, that's what his dad did. Peter Schmeichel didn't arrive in England at Manchester United until he was 28 and he was there for eight years. So Schmeichel being as old as he is now, or not as not as not young as he is, rather, because he's not exactly old. But that's not an issue for me because he's, he's only going to get better because he's been getting better gradually for the last few years. And I only see that going one way. And he knows the club, you know, he used to be around when he was a kid and his dad was in the team and, and things like that. He used to go to school and live in Cheshire, so... Oh, well, if he lived in Cheshire. <laughs> no, but, I mean, it's just all part and parcel of the same lifestyle. He's not like he's new. He's not like he's going to be... Com- you know, even English players get homesick when they go to other clubs in, in this country. You know, it's not like that would happen to him because he grew up in this area. I say in this area because I'm in this area, but, you know, it's it's... It just fits for me. That's that's all I can really say. And, and now I'll let everybody else tear that argument to pieces. <laughs> yeah, you sounded like a man who was expecting a barrage at the start there. No, I, I don't think he's a bad goalkeeper. I think it would be a nice story. And I think that's possibly tainting your view a little bit. I think he's a, he's a very solid Premier League goalkeeper. Like you say, he's, he's at a very good age for a goalkeeper. 28 for one of those is like... Um, 24, 25 for a striker, isn't it? But I mean, I've seen him a fair few times down the years, and I've always, I've always thought he was someone who's kind of prone to the odd error, and he just doesn't seem to have all the things that a goalkeeper needs. The the complete package. Obviously, he's he's good at he's good at the shot stopping, as as they all are because they're goalkeepers. But I think you would notice, obviously, if the hair were to leave you'd notice a difference with most goalkeepers coming in trying to replace him. I think there would be quite a noticeable difference if, if Schmeichel ended up replacing De Gea. I think the one way around it would be if, if United strengthened in, in every other area um, so they didn't have to rely on the goalkeeper as much. But I personally believe that United will be looking at a higher calibre of goalkeeper than Kasper Schmeichel when De Gea finally leaves for Real Madrid. When, not if, is that? Yes, when. <laughs> but like like we're saying with Schmeichel, De Gea's what, 24, 25? He knows that he's got another at least a decade of his career to go. So I don't think he's in any rush to get there. But um, like Jamie says, I think he would quite like that opportunity to happen if it arises and when it arises. I'm in the same boat as Aiden. I think. I think Schmeichel's at the right club, at the right size club at the moment. I don't, I think while he could, perhaps he could play for a, a bigger club, I mean a top four club, but I he doesn't strike me as at that very top level. I mean, I think even if United were to look at other options in the Premier League for a replacement for De Gea, because it, 
let's face it, at some point that move is going to happen to Madrid. Um, I think uh, Jack Butland would be a great option for United. I mean, he's 22. He's been outstanding this season. I mean, and same for Liverpool as well. I've been meaning to raise this for a while. Liverpool handing a five-year contract to Simon Mignolet. I mean, what what are they thinking there? I mean, there's a yes, he's going to cost a lot of money. He'll probably cost 20 million pound in the summer or something like that. But I think Butland is a real option for at least ten, for 10, 10 years, 15 years in the Premier League, and he's not going to really have his head turned to go anywhere else either because of where he's from, because he's English. And I think Liverpool and even United would be better served going for him if, they, if they're looking for a new long-term keeper. That's quite a good point because I hadn't really considered Botland in, in, the same, in the same sense, but you know, you make a good point. So uh, before this becomes a complete United love-in, are you thinking any of the other... Real title challenges need particularly anything else, I suppose. You'd have to count Spurs in the mix the way they're... Uh, well, you know, just with how tight the uh, the top of the table is, I don't... They maybe need another striker. I'm not sure there's one available. Berahino, I think we've talked about before, I'm not entirely convinced he's someone that a top club really wants to be going for right now. Mauricio um, Pochettino said today or yesterday that he's pretty happy to promote from within if they can't find anyone. Arsenal or Leicester particularly after anyone? I think that, um, yeah, with, with Spurs there is talk of, of the new striker and I think that the one that I've, the rumour I've seen that perhaps makes the most sense to me is, is Sandro at Barcelona, um, who, according to reports, will uh, would be available this month and is someone who perhaps would be quite happy to deputise for Harry Kane for, for six months while he gets his bearings. And I think that's all that Spurs really need to look for at the minute is someone who can kind of take the weight off his shoulders when he's played perhaps one game too many or he's a bit tired or whatever. Obviously, Spurs will have to hope that he doesn't that Kane doesn't get injured between now and the end of the season. But, um, yeah, like Pochettino says, if he's, if he's going to do that and he's got faith in, in those beyond the first team at the minute, then why not just do that and, and look at it again in the summer? I definitely agree with that. I don't. Th- I think Spurs need another body in there, but I don't think it needs to be a big name. I mean, I've been covering our, our transfer blog today, and there's reports going around that Spurs have actually bid £23 million for Jackson Martinez. This is for a man now who's just recently admitted that he's working harder but playing worse than ever. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't inspire confidence, does it? <laughs> it really doesn't, and... The reports just don't make sense. I think they come out of Spain. But as much as Spurs maybe could have done with Jackson Martinez 18 months ago before Kane's emergence, Kane is their number one man right now. And he just needs to support Act. I think 23 million for any kind of player to be a second choice striker is just mindless. It doesn't really fit their profile. They're into like development players, young players. He's nearly 30 and he doesn't. it just doesn't seem like it fits. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I think in general it's, it's a tough you've already sort of touched on this it's a tough one to call for Spurs because they're in a position it's quite a delicate situation where they've got a good a good foundation a good basis and they're only like one or two players away from being really really good and it's finding those individuals without messing up what they've already got and that's quite a difficult situation to be in and I think that's why they're being more cautious yeah and I think they're right to be as well um you know that they've they've spent poorly in the past when they've had the chance and uh, a messed up particularly good position. So I think it, it is a, a new, more thoughtful, less spursy spurs. It's what we've been hoping for for like 20 years. 
Well, exactly. It's, it's about time. I think Cena uh, is is a lot responsible for that as well. I think he he deserves a lot of plaudits. He's a very he's got his head screwed on, hasn't he? And a lot of Spurs managers in recent years haven't. The anti Harry Redknapp, isn't he? He'd rather do his work on the training ground than in the transfer market. It's like he seems to have changed the whole philosophy of the club, you know, because before they were going down that director of football avenue. And what he seems to have, when he, since he's come in, it seems to have changed. And then they've taken on a head of recruitment and they have like a panel. And it's a little bit, I don't know if it's more democratic or such. It seems to be more considered and more measured than just a director of footballer in a suit going, yep, we'll have him, we'll have him. Here's your, here's your team and I'll go and, go and win stuff. And then if you don't, you'll get sacked. Seems to have changed the philosophy of how they, how they run the show. So, and then I'm not even sure if they really count as a, uh, as a top top table club anymore I'm, I'm certain they don't count as title contenders but there's been uh, there's been a little bit of chat obviously we mentioned Simon Mignolet earlier um, there's been a little bit more chat around the Liverpool goalkeeper situation anyone take it away on Rob Green yeah I, I, I'm not sure that that's a goer to be honest they've just recalled Danny Ward from Aberdeen and he's been doing really well up there um, and I, I just think that uh, Jurgen Klopp is the type of manager who would rather um promote him and have him as Mignolet's understudy and, and give him a run in the FA Cup and perhaps if, if Mignolet's not available I, I think that there's, the talk is that Green would come in and, and replace Adam Bogdan as the understudy but I think, like I say Klopp's probably more inclined to, to give the young guy a go than, than bringing the 36 year old soon to be free agent from, from the Championship I think Q, QPR have to get rid of Green. I mean, they, they've been fairly open about that, I think. He, he can only play five more games before he qualifies for a new contract. They simply can't afford to, to keep him on because they're not going to be promoted this season. So I can see Rob Green moving, but not to Liverpool. Um, Bournemouth, perhaps. Norwich, perhaps. But, um, like I say, Klopp's probably quite happy with, with Danny Ward. Well, that brings us on quite nicely to uh, to the kind of Bournemouth and Norwich to see if there's any um, to talk about if there's any uh, particular areas that the teams down at the bottom need strengthening. Obviously, the obvious answer is most areas because that's why they're at the bottom. Hmm. But if there's any particular moves you've seen kicking around that you think are worth worth noting, well, just to to carry on from the the Rob Green Aiden just mentioned uh, Bournemouth in passing, they obviously need. A decent goalkeeper because they've struggled in that department this season. It's not at the bottom of the table. The interesting one for me is is Crystal Palace. There, there's been a rumor that they might be able to conduct a, a swap deal with QPR for Alex McCarthy, which would send McCarthy back to QPR, having only just arrived from there. Because McCarthy was the, the starter for Palace at the start of the season, and he got dropped after a few mistakes. Wayne Hennessy's come in and did made a, a few points saving and point winning saves uh, afterwards. But then the last couple of games, he's had a, a couple of nightmares in a row. And, and Alan Pardew's actually said that he needs to prove himself in training now. Otherwise, he's out. So maybe somebody like Rob Green coming in for Crystal Palace might be beneficial. And I certainly think if you're Rob Green, would you rather? I don't know, maybe, maybe he would quite like to go to Liverpool, even if it's just on the bench. But Crystal Palace seems like it'd be a good club to go to right now for, for somebody like him. So. Palace has still got Julian Speroni. And I don't understand. I know he got injured, but... I mean, he, he never put a foot wrong for them. I was, I'm surprised that he's stayed out of the team this long, especially with, with what Hennessy's been up to. And I think they tried to get rid of Hennessy in the summer. So, obviously, he, he did well initially to, to get his place back off um, McCarthy, who you rightly say had just signed. But, yeah, I, don't, I know Speroni's getting on a bit. He's, he's probably fastly approaching 40 by now. But, 
he's someone who, who like I say, didn't, didn't really do much wrong before his injury. Well, now if we're talking Palace, I'd... yeah. Now if we're talking about um, Palace, I don't think their problem is so much. Obviously, the goalkeepers not an ideal situation but they've been reasonably solid at the back even lately they are however i believe on the uh, on a five game scoreless run I'm pretty sure that connor wickham's penalty is the only goal that any striker of theirs has scored this season and surprise surprise they have been linked with emmanuel adebayor as a lot of you know a lot of teams have in the last couple of months especially london ones i think it's um, reasonably well known that he wants to move back to london is um, He's got a lot of business around the capital, he knows the area. That kind of thing, what's maybe unusual about the Palace links is that there actually seems to be uh, a very, very good chance of it happening. They're supposed to be in talks now. Um, the only haggling point, really, from, from some of the reports coming out today is um, over the length of the contract. Padre wants a, a shorter contract, maybe to the end of the season, and then go from there, perhaps a performance-based uh, extension. Whereas he'd rather 18 months, I know... Um, Speaking to people around him recently, he really, really wants to break the 100 goals mark in the Premier League. I think he's seven goals away. Big part of him coming back, I mean, he looks he looks fit. He looks in good shape. How, how match sharp he is in the, at the top level, that remains to be seen. That's something for, I, I guess, Palace or whoever signed him to look at. But he'd be a... Um, I mean, he'd be a, a massive addition to most teams, but especially a team that has a lot of really good wingers, could put a lot of good crosses in, and he's a, he's an absolute tank of a man. I think I think that could be the same as, as Czech to Arsenal in the summer. Strength in terms of a signing that strengthens your weakness, that could be one of the best signings of the uh, of the transfer window. It's another one that's fairly risk free as well. He's I mean he's a free agent. Spurs are still paying paying him till the end of the season, aren't they? So I imagine Palace wouldn't have to pay him too much money if they were to take him and he's, he's someone who's played at the highest level I know he's he's not played for, for the past six months and, and he didn't play much at Spurs last season but the season before that he was he was back among the top players in the division wasn't he so yeah I completely agree he could he could make um, quite an impression there. Uh, now Jamie I know you had another a different player to go on for Palace. Well the other striker that's been linked with Palace uh, recently is Moussa So from well he's at Al Ali in Dubai at the moment. He's only been there since 2015, and before that he was at Fenerbahce and Lille. He's 30 years old, but he's got a good record, albeit not in England because he's never played in England. But it's a similar kind of deal where he's a proven striker. You know, when he, he was uh, when he was at Fenerbahce, he scored 52 league goals in 107 appearances. When he was at Lille, he scored 31 and 54. If he was to go to Crystal Palace, hypothetically, uh, he'd be reunited with uh, Johan Kabay. They were teammates when Leo won the double in 2011 in France. You know, so he wouldn't be going in completely blind either. To me, as much sense as Adebayor makes, Moussa So makes a lot of sense as well. Because like, they need a striker, we know that. So get an experienced one who's proven and they'll be uh, pushing up back into the, the top six, top seven again, in theory. In theory, do we have anything in particular on, on, on the bottom reaches of the league, or is that just kind of uh, anyone who a team can get the need to get? Because mm. you look at Newcastle, obviously they've made two of their signings already. Obviously, Andros Townsend, um, perhaps for fourteen million in the next week or two. But then you've got, you know, Villa are in a reasonable amount of trouble. Bournemouth, Swansea, obviously, as much as I've said recently that I don't see them going down and I still don't see them going down but they uh, 
dropping down into the relegation zone over the weekend will have been something of a wake-up call for them. Swansea have been linked with a reunion with Scott Sinclair, and that's an interesting one because a reunion with everybody. There's Jonathan <laughs> Guzman today as well. That's uh, that's supposed to be in the pipeline. And Joe like, Allen yesterday. <laughs> well, it's going back to what made them successful in the first place, isn't it? I mean, Sinclair was the was the main guy that got them out of the championship. With he scored 19 goals in their promotion-winning season in the in the normal season, and then he scored a hat trick was in the playoff final as well. And then he was quite a, a central figure in that first season that they stayed up in the Premier League because. If I'm being honest, and I'm sure that you might you might agree, who actually expected Swansea not to get relegated straight away? I mean, I I thought they were, I thought they were gunners before the season started, and then they played that first game against Man City on the first day and got absolutely smashed. The thing with Scott Sinclair is that it doesn't sound like it will be a brilliant signing because ever since he left Swansea, he's not really done anything. He went to City and sat on the bench and hardly played. He went to Villa on loan and was alright but not brilliant. He signed permanently for Villa over the summer and, and since has been almost worse than useless at times. He's like a wasted jersey on the field. Yeah, especially yeah. with Remy Gard saying, uh, or certainly a lot of reports coming out recently saying that Remy Gard's told, uh, told Villa top brass that he wants a massive clear out. You'd certainly see Sinclair being a part of that. Well, going back to Swansea, it does seem like it would actually be good for him. This is what I've read today, that he, he only rents his house in the West Midlands and he'd actually quite like to return to South Wales. I believe that originally he's from Bath, which is in that region anyway. Um, so it'd be like a, a homecoming. Let's, let's be honest, he should never have left in the first place, should he? I mean, he, he chased the money and it really did a number on his career. Well, yeah, because the last four years might as well have not happened for him. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just... Even at the time, I remember saying, oh, that's such a bad move. Don't don't go to Man City. You're, you're never going to play there. I, I could I could feasibly see that happening. I mean, Swansea have got a number of wingers or people in that position anyway who can fill that void. I think uh, for Swansea, a central striker is more crucial. I don't know where they'll, where they'll get him from, uh, but I think it's the same for Villa as well. They just need goals. I mean, as, as bad as they're... As bad as Villa's defence has been this season, I mean they need they need somebody to score goals for them. Uh, if if they're to have, well, I say Villa. I don't think Villa have got any chance of getting out the the bottom three anyway. But Swansea need somebody who's going to go in and make the difference. Because uh, I mean they beat Swansea, they beat uh, Watford on Monday. Uh, yeah. Did any games. did anybody did anybody see that match? It was horrible. That <laughs> <laughs> was a bad game of football. There wasn't a single Swansea uh, Swansea player on the pitch who really looked like scoring. Baffert Gomez just looks absolutely horrible at the moment. He came on as a sub and really they've not... I think they essentially played Andre Ayo up front, which, yeah. you know, surprise, surprise, didn't work. Well, yeah. I mean, it, you know, they won, but it didn't work in terms of uh, carrying any real kind of attacking threat. And they can't, they can't rely on that every week until the end of the season, otherwise they may find that they actually do go down. I still don't think they will, but they're very close to it. And I think Sunderland have Jermaine Defoe, and I think that he will, as old as he is now, as old and long in the tooth as he is, I think he's proven that he can still score goals at this level, and I think in the end it will tell the difference. And I think Sunderland might actually get out of it. I mean, Villa and Swansea, I think, need a striker. Sunderland, they have Defoe, but they also have a, a very bad defence. And I think Newcastle 
Newcastle have been linked with Saido Berahino as well. Um, uh, yeah, I, I saw. Uh, I saw. I think today that they're now favourites to sign him. Bizarrely, you wouldn't put it past Newcastle to spend that much money on him. Either. No, you wouldn't. And they're the kind of. It's exactly that kind of Shelby signing, as you were saying earlier. A player who's who's um, shown that they've got a lot of talent, but there's some potential disruption beneath the surface. I think. I think some of the criticism he got, perhaps at the end of the summer, was unjustified. But there's there's a, there's a history of. Uh, disruption following him, so he's certainly fit. <laughs> the thing about Newcastle is you can't really blame Mike Ashley for not putting his hand in his pocket anymore because after the summer they spent, they spent fifty million in the summer. They've already bought Shelby and 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 Savet. If they were to buy, if they were to complete the deals for Townsend and Berahino. With the, with the estimated values on those, it would take the spending since Steve McLaren took over, which is only just over six months ago, to a hundred plus to, to more than a hundred million. So that's that's a real a real show of faith in in the project in the in the in the team moving forward to to invest that much money in such a short space of time. Then you would have to say that it has to work though if they spent that much money. But wouldn't it be brilliant if the team who spent a hundred million pounds altogether and and spunked fifty in January. If if they were the team that went down, I can't see it because uh, I think they will have enough to stay up with the signings. But um, I've got nothing against Newcastle, but that would be fantastic. It would be quite amusing, but I actually think they have a really good team or the makings of a really good team. I think yeah. the the problems that have, have uh, befallen them over the last eighteen months have, it's almost like it's been circumstantial, and it's not having it doesn't really have any bearing on the quality of the players they've got. It's more to do with the atmosphere and it seems to have improved since the summer so I don't th- I don't see them going down I think I think they're too well I say it's, it's easy to say they're too good to go down because nobody's too good to go down but they are too good to go down <laughs> and they have Wijnaldum okay so we're uh, we're running a bit short on time we've, we've been uh, waffling for more than long enough so just to wrap up the final points draw some kind of conclusion on this Nice and quickly, a signing that you can see going through before the end of the transfer window, and one that's been talked about a lot, one that's been actually rumoured that you don't think will go through. So, you know, not like, Lionel Messi's not going to join Bournemouth, because obviously Lionel Messi's not going to join Bournemouth. Even they aren't going to spend that much. Quick round table, Scott? I can see uh, Saido Berahino going somewhere, Newcastle possibly, but somewhere. Uh, probably late in the window, and I can't. I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but I'm just going to say that I can't see a deal over 25 million going through this month. So that rules out a fair few. I'm not going <laughs> to mention names. <laughs> the one I can see happening is perhaps uh, Graziano Pella going back to Italy after um, the Austin signing. I know that's sort of been played down, but it just wouldn't surprise me if that happened. Uh, the one that I can't see happening is anybody paying £12 million for Jordan Rhodes, not least Sheffield Wednesday who have been linked this week. We've been quite shrewd uh, in terms of individuals and I think he's probably regretting signing um, the new four or five year deal he did about two years ago that's probably going to keep him stuck at Blackburn until they go bust. Yeah, that's not happening. Don't believe that one. And Jamie? Mine that's going to go through, we only just literally talked about it, is uh, Scott Sinclair, I think, genuinely will go back to Swansea uh, at some point in the next few days. And the one that I can't get behind is Felipe Anderson to, to Manchester United because it's become a saga and sagas tend not to happen. Yeah, that, that, um, 
it feels like that might have been the one Scott was hinting at earlier. It definitely was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, just before we do zip off, we're talking about the deals that have gone through already this winter whilst we've been recording. So this will date this podcast. While we've been recording, uh, Costel Pantilliman and Stephen Naismith have both signed for... Clubs in Yellow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, they're both signed for for clubs in yellow. Stephen Naismith's gone to Norwich City for about eight and a half million, I think, was the uh, was the reported fee over the last few days. And uh, yes, Costel Pantilliman has signed for Watford on a three and a half year deal from Sunderland. So that's uh, maybe a bit of a blow for uh, Sam Allardyce and Co. So yeah, just in case you were listening to this on. Uh, in case you were listening to this later in the week and wondering why we hadn't mentioned those earlier, that's why. They, they've literally only just happened. We'll be back next week when we will be talking about something. It'll definitely be something. That's about as specific as we can be at the moment because you never know what's going to pop up between now and then. I've been uh, Chris Dealey, as ever, uh, and it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Jamie. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Scott. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Aiden. Adios, amigos. <laughs> Bye-bye.